Welcome to Have You Seen This, the podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten cinema. All discussions will be spoiler heavy. You have been warned. on the BBC in the 1970s. Uh, they only produced eight episodes originally, and of those, only three are known to still exist. It was called Dead of Night. Why are there episodes missing? It was the BBC in the 70s, and you know how reprehensible their archiving skills were back then, which is why we're missing several episodes of Doctor Who as well. Yeah, this affected shows like Doctor Who, a really famous British show called Zed Cars. Um, a bunch of other ones, because instead of buying new tape stock, which was apparently very expensive, they wiped old shows and reused them, because why would anybody want to watch that shit again? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, it's more expensive to get new tape than it would be to ever possibly recreate any of these shows. Oh, wait. <laughs> uh, before we get started, I should point out that these remaining episodes were released on... DVD via the BFI, the British Film Institute. They can be purchased via, via the internet, but they're also on YouTube, which is how we saw them. The thing that hooked me on Dead of Night, the first of the three episodes I watched was A Woman Sobbing, which um, I think really uh, helped deepen my understanding of what horror is, because I've watched, you know, my fair amount of it, and it's like, oh, this is interesting, like, this is unnerving, but you see a lot of it is, you know, sort of like gore and jump scares, and it's all very, um, cursory. It's, it's, it's not, uh, it doesn't feel like it delves deeply into what horror is. It's more like unnerving things or sort of, uh... Well, we're not, um, just really quickly, we're not opposed to gore. You're right. Mind you, because sometimes gore can be really fun. Oh, yeah. Or really, like, off-putting. Well, that is a whole other sort of, like, splatterhouse genre of yeah. things, too. Um, you know, and we're not we're not going to sit here and moralize about, like, torture porn or, like, the decline of horror. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think that, you know, getting back to the thing I was saying earlier about, like, a lot of things are vulgar, but not very many things are profane, and I think that that's missing the, the power of horror and what makes it a compelling genre. And that it's like, oh, you want something scary and gross and weird, right? Well, we'll just turn that up to 11, so it must be scarier than that. It's like, it makes a very distinct impression at first, but then, you know, it quickly tapers off because it's like, I, you know, I know that Jigsaw isn't going to abduct me and make me rethink my life. <laughs> um, well, it sounds like what you're saying is that the psychological elements of a lot of these films aren't particularly deep. deep. Yeah. Yeah. So what I, so getting to that, as and taking as long as I am to describe a woman sobbing, the first episode of um, of Dead of Night that I saw, the thing that it taught me about horror that I really had, I guess, forgotten or never really realized, and this is sort of my, I guess, manifesto about what makes horror compelling from this point on, is going to be that what it's doing is it's taking a very real, normal human anxiety and just making it supernatural. 
because all the same elements are there in that it is something that's you know that's bothering you that's relatable but also you aren't able to to do anything about it and so the the supernatural element of it i think is just the means by which this anxiety manifests itself which i think is great because then it means that it isn't just like oh i don't know it's a big dark spooky haunted house and like uh doors slam and then there's you know like ghostly music or something it's like you know it's got all the things that are scary in it right it's like but it doesn't become scary by virtue of those things it's like why are these things scary what is scary about them and so in and i'm really better describing um uh the exorcism which is the second episode i watched um, but to get back to a woman sobbing and the value that this episode has is is that it's describing this anxiety from this woman's point of view of her just being irrelevant in her own life and being ignored and being sort of... Um, misunderstood. Yeah, misunderstood and not taken seriously and maybe taken for granted in other ways. And it's all these different ways that she feels this way that is manifested by this by the sound that she hears in the attic of a woman sobbing. But, like, her husband doesn't take her seriously. It just dismisses it, where it's like, oh, I can't sleep because I hear a woman sobbing up in our attic. And her husband is like, well, why don't you take one or more of your sleeping pills? And it's, like, completely dismissing something that is obviously giving her a fair amount of distress. And things about, like, her being sort of usurped by the nanny and being replaced and, like, her husband not being attracted to her anymore. I and mean, these are all things that... I guess a woman of a certain age uh, at this point in her marriage would would these things would all be really upsetting to her but no one's taking any of these things seriously and the I guess though these all show up in this notion of this woman sobbing because completely outside of the manifest horror part of it is the subtext that this is this woman sobbing and no one's recognizing it and this is what makes it um, so valuable a narrative completely outside of the horror aspect of it. Like, this is a good story. This is a good um, character examination and there happens to be this compelling spooky element to it. What's the... Can you give us a capsule summary of a woman sobbing? What's the basic premise? Uh, a, a woman, uh, or a wife and only she hears a woman sobbing up in their attic. That's a great log line. Yeah. <laughs> and it um, it seems like a fairly basic horror premise. Mm -hmm. But um, and I was thinking about it, um, you know, when you were describing, you know, what makes it horror. Yeah. Is um, and you see a lot in you know other horror stories, and that's kind of what makes it terrifying is like the cyclical nature of it, where these oh, hauntings yeah. repeat. And yeah, because it means that, like, there's just nothing you can do about it. Yeah, there's the attempted exorcism, there's the attempted electroshock, attempted everything, but, you know, she's inexorably pushed to yeah. suicide, and then the whole cycle starts over again. And that's kind of the terrifying nature of stories of hauntings. It's similar in the stone tape, mm -hmm. you know, where it there was a tragedy that culminates in another tragedy, which then goes on to perpetuate itself for... God knows how long. And the thing that's horrifying about Stone Tape is the implication that this is this isn't just a haunting which goes back to like old timey Victorian England. It goes back thousands of years, like past like recorded time. 
that's what freaks me out about Stone Tape. <laughs> it's really scary. It's like, it's like almost a Lovecraftian evil. Yeah, it's the sort of thing that's just antediluvian in nature that is just so far beyond any one person's comprehension. Yeah, and that's that's freaky. You know, really good horror like isn't explicated. Right. And that's kind of true because you you know, you get you get the the backstory in a woman sobbing. I mean, you get like you get an impression of the nature of this haunting and a woman sobbing, but we don't really get an explanation. Yeah, and that's, again, it's, it's simple enough to say in that it kind of loses some of the impact in that um, horror is fear of the unknown. And it's like, yes, that, that seems perfectly obvious, yes. But it's, I don't think that that statement really does it justice because really what we're seeing, whether it's in the stone tape or whether it's uh, a woman sobbing, it's people trying to figure out something that is so outside of what they're normally used to dealing with. It's the sort of thing that has it's some force with some motivation that is just beyond our control. And maybe it's the feeling of helplessness that engenders that sense of horror, because it's the sort of thing that you don't understand and that you can't control. And that's why, again, A Woman Sobbing works outside of it as a horror story, because you could say that it's this systemic nature of what it's like, you know, being a, a woman in like the second decade of your marriage, where it's just like, this is just sort of the way that you're regarded and there's not really anything you can do about it, but you can't, you can't write a, a an hour drama around that premise. You can't be like, oh, isn't society just like, oh, it's, <laughs> that's so unfair to women and it's uh, just like, people don't talk anymore. And it's like, you can't make that interesting, but if you just distill it down into this unsolvable problem about this woman's sort of milieu, then you can, then you, then you've got a story. And the nice thing is that you can simplify it and then let the audience extrapolate from that. Well, we talked about a woman sobbing. Um, we touched on the exorcism briefly. What's the premise of that one? The premise of the exorcism is there are four, um, sort of uh, well-off, uh, socially conscious, I guess I would say liberal um, people in their uh, sort of country cottage having Christmas dinner. Again. Or, or no, their Christmas dinner is interrupted by a haunting. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. These these programs have very simple log lines, um, which well, is great. Yeah, that's what you want. Is you want no, to, totally. Yeah, you want to be able to, to sum up in one sentence what your story is about, because that clarity is going to maintain focus as you're writing it. And it's gonna, it means that if you can't sum up what your story is in one sentence, you don't know what your story is. The interesting thing about the exorcism, and it's something that seemed a little clunky at first, but I realized was actually organic to the story, is that there are four sort of uh, well-to-do, liberal-minded people in this cottage, and they're talking about ideas about, you know, classism and socialism, and you know, just sort from of their position of privilege. Yeah, and from their <laughs> position of yes, because one of the characters mentions a couple of times he's like, "Well, I suppose we are quite privileged to have <laughs> this experience." With you know, them sort of taking the haunting as sort of um, well, isn't this novel? Yes, sort of point of view, like not really, and not really understanding the gravity of it, which also completely fits with what they're talking about, where they're like. Ah, I think that maybe the poor should, you know, be able to have, like, a leg up once in a while, or a safety net, or just things like talking, again, from a position of privilege, where it's like, oh, it wouldn't be so bad if maybe 
you know, the poor had it better. Or well, yeah, like it's that. a, it's a, and again, you know, it's British, so of course it's very class conscious. Right. So it fits right in that tradition. But um, it's also a great puncturing of kind of uh, liberal smugness. Right. Of like, well, we're we're totally aware of this, yeah. but you know, we're we're just gonna like. Yeah, there's the the woman hallucinates the uh, the corpse in the attic, like the woman and her two children, and then there are also other things too, like when they sit down to dinner, people are like, "Oh, this is this is poisoned," or the guy uh, drinks the wine, he's like, "This is blood," and it's like it very it's it's dropping these hints about like how you know easy they they have it and that they're able to enjoy their meal, and then what turns out to be. Um, I think a great performance because otherwise it feel it would feel like uh, just sort of this like information dump, this like have you got the message now, the, mm -hmm. which is because it ends up being like seriously a five minute monologue from this one actress as she's possessed by um, the spirit of this dead woman from my, I want to say like the 1600s that is a woman who died um, in a famine and her her husband went out to um, feed his family yeah went out to to hunt game on their you know their master's the property estate, yeah, yeah. buyer's estate which was punishable by death and then they caught him and he was hanged and they starved to death like that is real class warfare right yeah there. and then when she goes to plead their case to the squire after her husband has been executed yeah and she sees them all sitting around enjoying their christmas dinner, dinner. yes so yeah, there's a that like there is a much more immediate story there than for liberals in their cottage going like, oh man, can you imagine things these days? Yeah, like oh, it'd be so much better if it were you know more socialist or something. It's really brutal. It is, and that's what. And again, that gets back to the point that I was making earlier about like, oh, it isn't just ooh, there's a skeleton, or oh, a plate fell off the wall, or oh, I imagine I'm drinking blood. Ah, but but you see, it's like. Okay, you want to enjoy a Christmas dinner? Here, drink drink the blood of all these innocent people that are on your hands. Or here, you want to have your Christmas dinner? I hope you fucking choke on it. Yeah. And it's and it really yeah. gets to the sense of what like why is the spirit so so pissed off? And you understand why? It's because she and her two kids and her husband died because someone doesn't have the uh, sense of fairness to their fellow man to make sure that they didn't fucking starve to death. And it's like that. And this is just. Just a one-off, one-hour horror horror show where it's just like, yeah, you know, we want to kind of scare people, but also, like, here's something to actually think about. Yeah. And that's the thing is, like, you know, there's plenty of vulgarity in neopolitic culture, but there isn't enough profanity. There isn't enough in, like, how it, let's really examine these values that you claim to have. Talking about the exorcism, mm -hmm. um, I found myself thinking of Paranormal Activity. And <laughs> yeah. that's a movie that... You know, I know a lot of people like it. Um, well, those people are wrong. And <laughs> in that movie, uh, the female main character is haunted, has been haunted for some time. And some might say, like, well, you know, and they don't explain it, which is great. Um, but there isn't really anything to grab onto in Paranormal Activity for no. me. And it, it's it, it feels a little bit empty, like, compared to this story, which we were just talking about, which is imbued with this, like, thematic significance. And that tends to be the kind of thing that I prefer, where there is, you know, it isn't, I like horror, but, like, horror with something extra. Yeah. Rather know? than just being like, because, yeah, I can walk through a haunted house. 
Because, yeah, like, I guess it is, it would be scary if, you know, you were, you know, if there was a scenario, the friends are at dinner and suddenly they can't, they inexplicably can't eat the food or leave the house, but there is much more going on, which makes, kind of adds that little twist of, yeah, it's, oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's what makes it a horror story worth talking about 40 years later. Yes, so where paranormal activity is like a bunch of jump scares and two like annoying idiots like yammering at each other. I hate those people so much. If you if you want a, a laugh though, go on YouTube and search for normal normal activity. activity. <laughs> I, think, I think that distills their their story down pretty effectively. Well, really quickly, the, the thing with normal activity is that um um and that was a lot of fun. That was fun. It's it's on YouTube. Check it out. I I know it's like. It's like nine minutes long, which is an eternity in YouTube. <laughs> it's it's better watching fucking paranormal. Activity, yeah, though. and also too, like if if you aren't sold by the halfway mark, because there's a gag in there that oh my, it's it's fucking gorgeous. <laughs> but anyway. But yeah, like I, that's and that's that's what I enjoy about these these British horror teleplays is that mm-hmm. they kind of have that little extra twist of irony or the grotesque or um yeah there's something more to it than just here's a series of jump scares but we're gonna ramp them up a little more than the last time you saw them it's like how how far can that go no the third episode return flight well basically a commercial pilot is flying he narrowly avoids a collision with what looks like a world war ii plane what it is is a commercial airline pilot who previously flew in world war ii is starting to I would say starting to lose his marbles. Or his ability is being called into question. I think it's a meditation on, you could say it's like the song, uh, what is the Springsteen song, Glory Days. Like, those days will pass you by. And he's because he, you know, he flew for the RAF and bombed Jerry. And, like, to him, that is real aviation. And, I mean, he even mentions it in the story. He's he's a glorified bus driver now. Yeah, he's um, flying now for a company owned by Germans. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you understand from his point of view... Oh, shit. Yeah, and so he fought Germans, and now he's flying for Germans. Yeah. So, from his I'm point of view... I'm stupid, because that only just hit me. Right. <laughs> so, from his point of view, it's kind of like, what am I even doing? That makes me appreciate the episode more. It's a good episode. And it's kind of a masculine story about obsolescence. Yeah, because, I mean, that is really a concern of, of his, because, I mean, he's just getting old, and maybe he's not as good at his job as he used to be, which is got to be, which has to be difficult for him, because he knows when he was in his 20s flying bombers, like, that was the real shit. He was doing something amazing then, and now it's like, yeah, I just kind of ho-hum, I fly along, and whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so... There's a time when he knows that he he's past the he's past the point where his life is crested. And the added wrinkle is that he's recently widowed. So it's just it's uh, I think uh, a valid question. It's just what am I doing here anymore? Yeah, and there's some nice character moments which involve things like you know uh, figuring out what to do with his dead wife's things. Yeah. You know, like asking female friends, like, do you want to take this jewelry, you know, stuff like that. And, I mean, I don't want to skip too fast to the ending, but I think that that story exists on two levels, and that sort of the objective viewpoint is, you know, spoiler alert, it's the plane crashed. 
for whatever reason, pilot error. I don't think that they really get into it. Mm-hmm. But from his point of view, it's him trying to do the things that he, the things that I think gave his life meaning that, and that what made him most proud is being able to do the, the, the sort of things that tested his mettle, the sort of things that I think, you know, from, you could say, the things by which a man is measured. And now he isn't doing any of those things. And so it's tragic for him to just be like, you know, no one, no one needs this old guy anymore. Yeah, and it just shows how um, horror can be about the most mundane things. Yeah. It almost isn't a, it's not horror, it's, it's a ghost story. Yeah, a uh, sort of crisis of masculinity and, you know, the sort of idea of, you know, being disposable at the end of your life, or there's the sort of thing of finding yourself in, following all the rules that you're supposed to, you know, to, to be a good wife and to have a happy marriage and finding out they aren't fulfilling. It's like, those are really difficult concepts to get across, but if you can add that sort of supernatural element to them, it's, it's just... This is the MacGuffin that gets these ideas out there. So I think that's the value of it. And that's what makes these stories interesting is because they are human stories. They just are sort of a little skewed or a little left of center. There's just something that's different about them, different enough so that you can explain away these complex social issues by way of, I hear a woman sobbing, I imagine a World War II bomb. (laughs) 